Family, welcome to the final message in this wonderful series. We've been talking about resetting. This message is called Resetting of Our Destiny. It's part of our overall series, The Great Reset. Taking advantage of this moment, though challenging it may be, we see opportunity to reset, to restart, restructure, and to move forward with more power and more authority as the body of Jesus Christ. Now, today, I want to use for a backdrop the book of Habakkuk, that little prophet in the Old Testament, chapter 2 and verse number 14. Listen to these words. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as waters cover the sea. Now, I want to talk to you today about eschatological things from the word eschatology, which simply means last things. I want to talk to you about what the end may look like, what the Bible has to say about the end. But before I do that, listen, I want to invite you to the chat again. Remember what we're doing in this series. Type these words. Hit the reset button. Everything in our being is calling for a reset. Every fiber is squealing. Reset. Reset my thinking. Reset my thoughts and my practices. Reset my understanding. I want a resetting of the things that God ordained for my life. So hit that reset button. We've been teaching the great reset. And as I told you before, we are looking at resetting our destiny. Last things. That's what the word eschatology means from the Greek word eschaton, last things. Now, here's what I want to say to you. It's a little caveat. Whenever we talk about last things, the last days, many conspiracy theorists rise up even within the body of Christ because we love drama. We like things to scare people. We like to invent things. We like to talk about the mark of the beast and the antichrist. And sometimes we do that with very little understanding or the undergird of scripture. But I want you to know this. God is not in the business of scaring his people. He's not in the business of scaring anyone. He is, however, in the business of preparing people. And those who are being prepared and are prepared, they will never be scared. I want to quickly say something to a lot of my colleagues or some of my colleagues who are somehow going off script, talking about vaccines or the mark of the beast and all those kind of things. I'm asking you cordially, please stop. We're not doing ourselves a service. In fact, we're doing ourselves a disservice. People are treating us as if we are on the fringe. I want you to know clearly that when it comes to God, the end of something is better than the beginning. What do I mean by that? There is more glory when God winds up something than even when he starts it. So watch this. According to the word of God, better days are coming for those who know the Lord. Glory. Listen to what the Bible teaches. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than that of the former. And in this place, God says, I'm going to give peace. Our best days are coming. So I don't have time to talk about vaccines being the mark of the beast and all these things that are happening. That's not my concern. And I don't want that to be your concern. What we're concerned with is the coming glory of God, knowing that our best days are before us. We serve an awesome God, greater than any mark, greater than any false prophet, any beast. We serve an awesome God and he has our best days in front of us. So during this message, talking about 
resetting our destiny, there are three things that I want to focus on. The first one is preparing for the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Lord is coming back again. The, the Greeks call it the parousia, the second coming. The Lord is returning his second advent and he's coming back for a prepared people, a church that is pure without spot or wrinkle. And that's what we should be doing right now, preparing ourselves because we don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but we do know that he has promised to return for us. And while we're doing that, we should also be encouraging others to be prepared as well. Listen to these old songs, having our lamps trimmed and burning because we're expecting the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, if not in our lifetime, perhaps in the lifetime of our children or their children, but the Lord is coming back. The Greeks used to say this, at least the, the church in Greece, they used to say Maranatha. It's a way of saying the Lord is coming back. The second thing that we're going to talk about is finishing the assignment, wrapping up the duties that God has entrusted us. And I want you to know that this is very, very important that God, when it comes to God, there is no half done. There is no just about. God wants us to finish in our lifetime and ultimately in the lifespan of His agenda. He wants us to finish the assignment. And we'll spend some time talking about that. And lastly, I'm going to touch on a subject. Just briefly, I want to talk about entering into heaven, what that may look like. And with each of these segments, I'm going to show you that glory is attached to everyone. The Lord is coming back for a glorious church. When the work is over, there's glory coming. And where are we headed? According to the scriptures, we're heading to glory. So let's get into this and reset our destiny. We're hitting the reset button and we're doing it in Jesus' name. Let's talk about this one, preparing for the Lord's coming. And remember, I told you that the Lord is coming back for a glorious church. There are three things that I want to show you, and it's vitally important that you hear this. And by the way, if you don't have the notes, go there right now. Grab your notes. I'll wait for you and we'll get down into this because you, you'll need the notes to follow me through here. Watch this. Number one, this is the type of church that the Lord is coming back for. When we use the word church, we're talking about people. So he's coming back for a people, a body, his church. Number one, he's coming back for a pure church. That's very, very important. A church that is washed and ready. In other words, a church that is ethical. This answers the purity question. The Lord is coming back for a pure church. Remember, the Bible uses the analogy of a virgin waiting for her husband, her husband-to-be, and she is pure. She's decked out in fine linen, which is the righteousness of the saints. So the Lord is coming back for a pure church, one that is washed, one that is ready. How can I wash myself? But it's simple, by listening to the Word of God and allowing the Scriptures to govern our lives. The Word of God has the ability in a powerful way to wash us and to cleanse us. This is what Jesus said, ye are clean through the Word. And the Word of God is truth. It's truth that comes out of the Word of God and sanctifies us. Because He's not coming back for a polluted, a defiled church. The Lord is coming back for a pure church. Secondarily, he's coming back for a powerful church. This is also very, very important. This is a church, I'm calling this church a working and ready church 
This is a church that's not sitting on the sidelines, waiting for him, biting their nails, but they're fully engaged in the activities of life. In other words, they are occupying. We are occupying until he comes. We're about his business. And when he comes, he's going to find us engaged in business. He's looking for a powerful church, one engaged practically in this world. And when he comes, he's going to find us doing, not sitting around, not twiddling our thumbs, but doing in his name, expecting him to come back. And thirdly, watch this. He's coming for a prepared church. This I like. I call this a watching and ready church. It's a church that's doing all these things concurrently. They're being pure. They're being powerful, but they're also being prepared. While they're working, they're watching. While they're purifying themselves, they're working. And while they're doing all of that, they're watching with expectancy. You see, the ethical church leads us to the engaged church. And the engaged church is the expectant church. The Lord is coming back for a people that are fully engaged in this world, in His name, carrying out His will, doing His assignment, making sure that we're unspotted from this world, not engaged in the things that defile the human soul and spirit, but engaged in the things that engender the purity of God, because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says it like this, that when He comes, He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. I like those terms. There's no blemish in the church. He's going to marry, if you will, a spotless virgin, one that is like him. Remember, we are the body of Jesus Christ. And at times the Bible calls us his spouse. Well, guess what? We are the body. He is the head. As he is, so are we. So I want to encourage everyone, be a part of the preparation. Be ready. Be working. Be watching. Be mindful that the Lord comes at an hour that we know not. But let's not be. Do you remember the parable in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25? Ten virgins. It's a picture of the church expecting their Lord to come. Ten virgins went out to meet. It's an ancient custom on the wedding night. But five of them were wise. Five were foolish. The wise ones, they trimmed their lamps. They were ready. They were working. They were expectant. And he came at an hour. But five of them were not wise found themselves slumbering and sleeping. He came, he took the five, he left the other five. He went inside, he shut the door. It was too late. I encourage you today, be a part of the group that's ready, working and waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I promise you this, as he has spoken, the same God that ascended in the person of Jesus Christ, he is coming back again in like manner to receive us unto himself. So that's the first thing I want to let you know. The Lord is coming back for a glorious church. Now, while we're waiting, let's also focus on point number two, which is finishing the assignment. This is important now because what the assignment is designed to do, it's designed to restore the glory to the earth. And that's something that God desires, the earth as he created it. Now watch this. At times when we teach eschatology, we focus on the end, we end up going off script, I believe, where we have the earth going down 
the brain, going to the dogs. It's getting worse and worse. And watch this. Our eyes begin to play tricks on us. And we say, everything around us is getting worse and worse. And what we then see, we start to believe. And what we believe, we develop an expectancy. And what we expect, we hope for. And ultimately, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The world is getting worse. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we're moving to the glorious expression of the kingdom of God. In the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. In the last days, God's mountain is going to exceed all the mountains. In the last days, the mountains are going to drop with sweet wine. In the last days, the whole earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as waters cover the seas. Better is the end of a thing for God than the beginning. And so when it comes to finishing our assignment, I want to show you that our God is a finisher. And there's a precedent in the scripture that men and women finish the assignment that God entrusts them with. Beginning with God, even God finishes his assignment. In the book of Genesis, I'm going to show you that God, when he started to create, he didn't stop halfway. He didn't stop at day five and say, that's enough. But when he was finished, the Bible said, God finished the work. Then he rested on that sabbatical moment because God is a finisher. Again, I remind you, with God, there is nothing called being half done. Everything is about finishing. In fact, because God finished the creation and Adam's sin plummeted the creation into disarray, God came again in the person of Jesus Christ and he finished redemption. That's why Jesus yells on the cross, it is finished. In other words, redemption is complete. Nothing half done. And can I tell you this? As Christians, we enter and engage the finished work of Jesus Christ. What do I mean? All the works have been finished. All I'm doing is walking out what God has already finished. You know, when God called Moses and instructed him to lead Israel out of Egypt and then told him in the wilderness, I need you to build a tabernacle. Well, Moses got the instructions from God and he began to arrange the people and organize the materials. But in the process of time, the Bible states that Moses finished the house. And when he finished, because here's the key, whenever we're talking about finishing, there is a glory that accompanies finishing. When Moses finished the tabernacle, the glory of God filled the house. It was so strong. The smoke was so thick that they knew that God was resident in the tabernacle. Because as we wind up, the glory gets stronger. Even Solomon, in his day, David gave him an instruction, an instruction to complete the temple, one that David could not finish because his hands were filled with blood. And so he transferred the instructions, the blueprint, the pattern to his son. And Solomon began the work of constructing the temple. And when he was finished, according to Second Chronicles chapter number 7, the glory of God filled the house to the extent that those who had prepared to dedicate and play music and worship in the temple, they could not because the glory was just so thick. So it is with Jesus Christ. I want you to know that he finished his assignment. That's what he yelled on the cross. It is finished. And then from the grave into glory, he went because there's a glory accompanying the finishing of God's assignment. Paul is perhaps one of the best characters in the New Testament church, sitting in a prison cell in the book of Philippians. He wants you to know 
that I've finished my course. I've fought a good fight and I've kept the faith. Now there's something laid up for me. Glory is accompanied by finishing. I want to show you three things that we must embrace. In fact, we're going to pray these in the chat as part of our finishing work. Remember this, our assignment in finishing the work is to bring the world closer to the original intent of God. It's to bring things back into divine order, whether in my lifetime or our children's lifetime or their children's lifetime. We're not going to stop working until everything is what God intended it to be. The devil will have no part in God's world. That's something that I want us to realize. The devil will have no part in God's world. It was created for the sons of men. It was created for the children of God. The earth is ours, God says, and the heavens is his footstool. Let's look at the first thing. I want to tell you this. We have the authority to reclaim the earth. That's something that I want you to believe. God has given us the authority authority through his word. Psalm 2 and verse 8, simply ask, he says, I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth. I will assign that to you as your possession. We have the authority to reclaim the earth. I want you to join me in this chat and I want you to say in the chat rather, and I want you to type this prayer. Father, give us the earth. We're simply going to ask God via his word, for the possession of the earth, for the nations, that we may turn the nations toward God and the glory of God. We have the authority to reclaim the earth. Our prayer, Father, give us the earth. And it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. That's his word to us. The second thing is we have the ability to restore the earth. That's why the spirit of God resides within us. That's why God has given us the power of his spirit so that we can begin the process as he prophesied to us in Joel of restoring the years that we've lost, years that pestilential insects have eaten. Those are demonic spirits, by the way. They're not literal locusts and caterpillars. It may have been that way in Joel's time, but the word of God is really pointing to those demonic pests that want to devour the blessings of God, devour the promises of God. But God says in the latter days, I'm going to restore those years that you may have lost. And he's given us the power to restore what has been lost in the earth. Join me again in the chat. And I want you to type our prayer. Father, restore the years. Whatever you've lost in your life, whatever the enemy has come in and stolen, even if you've disqualified yourself from it, we are believing God today as part of finishing the assignment, that restoration is coming to our lives. It's coming into your home. It's coming into your family. That which you've lost, our prayer is simple. Father, restore the years that we have lost. And God says, my people, they shall eat in plenty. We shall never be ashamed. We're moving into a season, a time of restoration. And number three, it, it is the Father's good pleasure that we operate in his mind. So watch this. We have the acumen of God to reset the world, to set it on its right course. We have his mind to think the way he thinks and to implement his thoughts into the world so that what he created the world to do, to accomplish, to achieve, he has given us the strategies to bring those things to pass. This is our third prayer in the chat. Father, release 
your mind in us. We want his mind so that whatever he intended for the world, we can begin to implement that in this life and begin to reset and change the course and the order of this world. That's part of finishing the assignment. You see, our assignment is connected to making this world a better place. Our mission statement should be making this world a better place, changing people's lives for the better, and that is for the glory of God. Our job is not to just run alongside degradation, not to run along immorality, not to acquiesce to all the, 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 the trappings of this life that are really destroying this world. But our job is to change our environment, adjust atmospheres, adjust climates so that the glory of God can begin to break into the world and begin to cover the earth as waters cover the seas. I'm praying right now. I know I'm breaking. I'm not finished yet, but I'm praying for someone whose hand is on the plow, that God would give you the grace to finish the assignment. Don't quit now. Don't give up. Even if it's difficult, if you've got to press through something, I want you to keep pressing. Just keep putting your shoulder to the plow, knowing that he who has called you, he is faithful and he's going to accomplish his will in your life to the very end end of time. And so I'm blessing someone with the spirit of completion, and you're going to finish the assignment in Jesus' name. So now watch this. If we can make it to the finish line, whether in our lifetime or at the end of time, the next phase is entering into glory. Now this requires some thought. And again, I want to tell you this. I'm not an expert on heaven. I've never been there. I'm hoping one day that I'm going to go there. So I'm not speaking as an expert. I'm only going to talk to you about what I think the scriptures suggest and my current understanding, which is also evolving. Over time, I've listened to a lot of messages on heaven. I've heard it being a place where there are mansions on hilltops, streets of gold, and things of that nature. My, my understanding has evolved a little bit. I think it's a little bit more than that. I also believe that heaven is actually not the final resting place of the saints. I, I believe that God is going to create, according to the word of God, a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness and I believe, as the original intent of God was, that we have dominion in the earth and the universe, God is going to restore that unto us. So even if we go up, I believe that we're coming back down for a wonderful new recreation to live out the eternal plan of God here on the planet and throughout the universe. But let's talk about this idea of going to heaven. And let's just use that so that we can get through what we need to get through. The idea of who goes to heaven. Now, as I told you before, I'm not an expert on heaven, so I'm not going to dare suggest that I make the final decisions. I would even encourage us as Christians to remember this. We are seeking to go there ourselves, but we're not owners of heaven. We're not the ones who are the creators of heaven. So I would rather do this. I err according to caution. I'm going to leave ultimately, even after I finish this message, the ultimate decision as to who goes there to the owner. It's God's heaven, and I certainly don't have the authority to put anyone in, and I don't have the authority to take anyone out. That's above my pay grade, and I want you to re receive that, and I want you to operate in that same understanding. I'm just going to be glad 
to be there when I get there. But listen to what the Bible says about those who are going. Number one, the Bible teaches that heaven is for a people that are worthy. In other words, heaven is for the saved. According to the book of Revelation, those who are going to walk in the light of that glorious environment, that glorious city, are going to be the nations that are saved. So now watch this though. How does one get saved? How, they, how can they make sure that they're worthy? Because certainly I wasn't born worthy. You weren't born worthy. None of us were born worthy. I want you to know that though we're not born worthy, we can be made worthy. And it's a very simple process. The moment you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, He is the one that died for you. I want you to know that the Bible teaches that we are justified at that moment by faith and we have peace with God and God begins the process of making us worthy. Remember, heaven is for a people that are worthy. It's for the saved, but it's easy for you to get saved. It's simply accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Number two, heaven is for a people that are written. And what do I mean by that? Heaven is for the true. According to the word of God, again, in the book of Revelation, there is a book. I don't think it's a literal book, but there's a record. And in that record, the names of people who are accessing eternity are written in the Lamb's book of life. I like to say it like this. They're inked in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, can I show you something that I believe? It's just me trying to understand the mind of God. I don't believe that the moment I accept Jesus, my name is written there because that would mean that God is working in time and he doesn't work in time. What I believe is that every person that's born, their name is already written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, the choices that we make in time determine whether or not our name stays in the book or is removed from the book. How do I keep my name in the book? It's simple again. Receive Jesus into your life and your name will be inked in the blood. It's already there, but the blood is going to go over it again to let you know that you are those who are written. Heaven is for a people that are written. And in heaven, there are no liars. There are no whoremongers because all who are written in the book of life, they are true. But here's the last one. Heaven is for a people who are welcomed. What do I mean? In other words, heaven is for people that God is inviting, those that he's calling. I want you to know that the Bible teaches this, that the spirit and the bride, they're saying, come, watch this. The spirit is the Holy Ghost. The bride is the church. And the Holy Spirit in the church, you and I, should be saying the same thing to everyone we meet. Come and go with me to my father's house. The church and the spirit should not be sending anyone to hell. That's not the word come. That's the word go. But the spirit and the bride say, come. Everyone we meet, we're offering an invitation. And who are welcomed? Everyone on the planet is welcomed. That's why it's imperative that everyone hears the invitation. Come, beloved of my father. All things are prepared. And part of this message, as far as it may go, online, on your television, wherever you're watching, I want to extend an invitation as a member of the church, the body of Christ, for you to come. The Spirit of God is inviting you to come. The church is inviting you because heaven is a place for people that are welcomed. That's what it's all about. And then when we get there, God is going to unfold the rest and He will tell us what eternity will be all about. This is really what resetting our destiny is all about. Quickly, 
in the remaining moments, let's go back up to the top. Remember, we're preparing, we're watching, and we're waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're engaged, we're involved, we're expecting, and we're constantly looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're doing that with ethics. We're being a pure and holy church. We're committed, number two, to finishing what the Lord called us to. Whatever the assignment, wherever you're serving, in whatever mountain or discipline of life, I will finish the course given unto me. And I believe that either at the end of my life or the end of time, somewhere in the end, there's glory that's coming to the finishing of my assignment. And lastly, when we are done, heaven becomes the promise of God. And I think I'm going to wait for God to fully explain that to me. I'm not going to make up analogies of mansions that are built for me there. I'm going to wait to see what that really looks like. I believe that it's better than anything we've imagined because eyes have not seen and ears have not heard the things that God has prepared, but He's revealing those things to us by the Spirit. I want to invite you to go with me. I'm doing my best to make eternity my resting place with God, with relationship with my Father. And I'm inviting you to join me on that journey. Let's continue, brothers and sisters, resetting all things, reminding you again, we're going to reset our definition of the church. We're going to reset our duty and begin to occupy in the disciplines of life. And we're going to make sure that our destiny is properly reset. We're waiting for Him to come. But until He comes, we're working the works of Him that called us while it is yet day, the night is coming when no man can work. And finally, let us not be scared of this latter day. The glory of God, according to the Word of God, and the Word of God is true. It will not return void. The glory of our God, the brightness, the wonders of God is going to cover the earth as waters cover the seas. I'm reminded of an old song. If you don't mind me quoting it, I will. Better days are coming. By and by. Let me stop there. But I want you to know that those better days are going to start here as we march forward with God and they're going to continue into eternal places. And so may the Lord bless us, the Rama family, the global church, all those that we are impacting in Kenya and in different parts of the world. May the blessing of God rest over our lives and may we be ready for our destiny. Know that I love you. I'm celebrating what God is doing in your life. And I'm looking forward to sharing with you again in Jesus' name. Type amen and it shall be so. Amen.